Welcome. You have entered the realm of 1111 Talk Radio. Your host is Simron. It's time to discover your own language with the universe. Empower yourself. Broaden your mind. Open your heart and discover who you are. Now, here's your host, Simron. Welcome on this beautiful new moon day in this powerful season of Taurus. I hope that everyone is doing well, and I'm delighted to have you here specifically on this day. It seems quite synchronistic and magical and mystical to have my guest today and to be talking about mystics today, because I think that we are moving into a time where the visionary side of us that has been so dominant for so long is really inviting the mystical side of us to deepen and to expand into who we are and we have enlightened contemporaries that can help guide the way. Mystical experience lies at the most profound depths of our spiritual consciousness. It glows as a powerful light at the core of all religions. Its remarkable process neutralizes the small self. It expunges the petty ego, the I am with the small a, with its incessant blather of me, 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 narcissistic and deluded. In doing so, it liberates a spiritual seeker to find both the miracle of the specific here and now and the miracle of the infinite. As the sense of personal isolation dissolves, the mystic awakens to a deep rapport with all of life. This sense of communion awakens too, a heart awash in love. How does such an awakened life manifest in the world? Well, we're going to learn a little bit about that from Steve Kanji Rule. He received his Master of Divinity degree from Harvard University and his BA in Religious Studies with high honors from Pennsylvania State University, an ordained Zen Buddhist minister. Reverend Kanji has served as a Buddhist advisor at Yale University and is a core faculty member in the Shangaku Zen Institute and in the Multi-Faith Spiritual Guidance Certificate Training Program at the Rowe Center in Massachusetts. He also works in private practice one-on-one with spiritual guidance clients. And Reverend Kanji has been a guest speaker and workshop facilitator at Harvard Center for World Religions, Yale Divinity School, Harvard Divinity School, the International Conference on Socially Engaged Buddhism, the Omega Institute, and elsewhere. The words that I spoke at the beginning of the show are from his wonderful book, Enlightened Contemporaries, Francis, Dogen, and Rumi, The Three Great Mystics of the 13th Century and Why They Matter Today. I'd like to welcome Kanji to 1111 Talk Radio. It's so wonderful to have you here. Uh, Thank you, Simran. It's wonderful to be with you. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. We we think about mysticism and mystical experience and being a mystic as something that is magical and somewhat beyond this 3D, denser world that we live in. And through reading the book, what became very apparent is the individuals that were these mystics, it is within this world of density and form that we actually discover the mysticism and discover that it is all mystical and magical. Talk a little bit about what led you to look at these three specific uh, mystics and 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 how you were impacted by the way that their lives have been have interwoven these same thoughts and principles. 
Mm, a wonderful question, Simran. Thank you. So uh, it's very true that the mystical experience is magical, and it's also rooted in the mundane. It can be a transcendent experience, but it's very much in the day-to-day, moment-by-moment reality of our lives. And it's part of our human birthright. We all have access to it when we open ourselves to the mystical experience, by which we mean direct experience of the sacred without the intermediary, without the interference, as I wrote in the passage that you quoted earlier, of the petty small self of the ego, setting that aside temporarily so that we can be present with the world in pure awareness and without distraction. And that's the experience of the sacred. And so the means by which I came to these three particular spiritual teachers was somewhat accidental. And I began writing the book Enlightened Contemporary 17 years ago in 2004, when I was in the religious studies program at Penn State, as you mentioned a moment ago. And so I was doing intensive study of Christianity, early Judaism, Buddhism, Islam, Hinduism, Native American spirituality, and so on. And for my honors thesis, I knew that I wanted to do some project that had a multi-faith focus, but also because it was the year 2004, just a few years after the September 11th, 2001 attacks, when there was a lot of animosity toward Muslims, a lot of Islamophobia, I knew that in this multi-faith project of writing, I also wanted to affirm Islam. So that was my starting point. And I wondered, okay, well, who can I write about in the Islamic tradition who would really motivate me in this project? And fairly quickly, I arrived at Rumi um, because I'd been an admirer of his poems. And so from that point, I thought, well, it would be really interesting if I could find 13th century contemporaries of Rumi's in other spiritual traditions. And the 13th century was an extraordinary period of turbulence and uncertainty, much like our own period in the early 21st century, but also tremendous dynamism and innovation. And so I was looking at the 13th century and wondering who from other spiritual traditions could serve as a complement to Rumi. And I went to bed one night with that thought, and I woke up in the morning thinking, aha, St. Francis of Assisi lived in the 13th century, there's my Christian, and Dogen lived in the 13th century, there's my Buddhist. And I wrote Francis, Dogen, Rumi on a piece of paper and went back to sleep. But um, the project took off from there. And the more I learned about them, I already knew quite a bit about Dogen because I'm a Zen Buddhist practitioner myself, as you mentioned. But the more I learned about Rumi and Francis, and I had had some knowledge, but um, the more I was surprised and inspired. And over time, I've come to think of them not as spiritual teachers to idolize or revere, but who can serve as guides or mentors. And I've come to see them 
as actual historical persons who also embodied various aspects of the sacred masculine. And today we're very much in need of inspiring examples of actual persons who manifest traits of the sacred masculine archetype. As a complement to the wonderful resurgence that's taking place, of course, of the sacred feminine. And we need to see a sacred masculine as a contrast and an antidote to the toxic masculinity that pervades the media and that we also saw in the last presidential administration, unfortunately. And to see a sacred masculine that's rooted in, in virtue. And that word virtue actually derives from the Latin virtu, which in turn derives from the Latin vir, which is the Latin word for man. So there's something intrinsic in virtue that has to do with masculinity that needs to be recovered, which isn't to say or imply in any way that it's not in the feminine as well. Of course it is. But in these three particular teachers of the 13th century, these three mystics who did directly experience the sacred, um, I think we can see some of those masculine virtues of the sacred masculine. So, for example, the spiritual gentleness and the joy of Francis, the spiritual clarity and the brilliance and the fearlessness of Dogen, and that spiritual ardor and that that eros and ecstasy of Rumi. And of course, again, that's all part of the sacred feminine too, but I think it's important for men and women and non-gendered people to be able to see virtues in the masculine. And I think these three teachers exemplify that. So that was one of the reasons that I found them important to write about. And, um, and again, it was also that they can serve to inspire us in, in various ways through their courage. They were able to surmount personal obstacles. They were able to revivify their own spiritual traditions um, through facing a lot of hardships and obstacles, and also the power of their tr personal transformation. Um, sometimes, you know, how we all can feel stuck at times in our lives, and Francis started out as basically an Italian playboy carousing in the streets and drinking wine and, and reveling. Dogen started out as a fairly pampered member of the highest level of the Japanese aristocracy, and he was very restless in his life. He was a restless seeker. Uh, Rumi started out as a lawyer in Anatolia, present-day Turkey, living a very staid, conventional life. And they all managed to break through and transform their lives in ways that, again, brought them to these experiences of the mystic or of the, of the direct experience of the sacred. So they show us how we can transform our lives. And that was important to me as well in selecting them. What I loved about it was learning about their lives because I didn't know. And I think that that's so often what we do. We take these individuals from the past and we idolize them and we put them up on these pedestals based on what society is promoting at the time or what we've heard little bits about individuals and what really came through 
was that they didn't possess these supernatural powers. They were truly human individuals that went through much suffering, some very deep and intense suffering, and actually chose to immerse themselves almost uh, as a romance, their own life and whatever their lives was bringing. Uh, Dogen's powerful piece was when his mother died. He really had to confront death in that way. And uh, Francis ended up casting away all of the money and the the material that that he was going to have. And Rumi embraced the householder's existence. And so they all had this way of taking where they were and then utilizing that on an internal landscape to then embark externally in the world in a completely different way, which, which was quite rebellious from the times, even then, to partake in life the way they chose to then move forward. Talk a little bit about the rebel spirit within each one and how that um, supported their own mystical journey and experience, but also probably created some of the suffering that they ended up encountering as well. Mm. Yeah, Simran, that's a very astute reading of the book, and thank you for those insights. It's very true, and I think that everything you just delineated is part of the reason that they speak so vividly to us today, 750, almost 800 years later. They seem fresh, they seem modern to us, unlike so many of, of their contemporaries in that medieval period. And a lot of that has to do, as you said so well just now, with the levels of adversity that they overcame. Um, Francis was wounded as a knight on the battlefield, and he was imprisoned and sick before he found his spiritual vocation. And as you said, Dogen was orphaned as a child after his mother died. Rumi was a member of what we today would call a refugee family, his family fleeing from Uzbekistan into Syria, into Arabia, finally to present-day Turkey, to escape the the massacres and the marauding of Genghis Khan, um, because this was the era of the Mongol invasions as well as, as the Crusades. So there was a lot going on. And as you say, they were able to internalize these adversities and transform them within their inner landscape. And part of that transformation had to do with the rebelliousness that you've that you've noted and Francis and Dogen and Rumi they cherished their spiritual traditions they honored their spiritual traditions of Christianity Buddhism Islam but they also saw that in many respects those traditions had become stagnant and also corrupted by by sloth by greed and so Francis's form of rebellion took the shape of a revolutionary experiment in which he chose to live as Jesus had, to own nothing, to roam freely, to preach love, to extol God and, and praise all the creatures of the earth, not to live as a monk, but to live like Jesus, not to live in the monasteries, but to live out in the world. And Dogen revolted against the Buddhist establishment in Japan by giving up on the cities, forsaking those, and working to create 
his own exemplary spiritual community way out in a remote mountain wilderness, inviting women, inviting men, anybody who wished to seek awakening was welcome to come to what he called um, Eheji, his temple of eternal peace. And Rumi uh, was in the conventional world of Islamic legalism, of of, um, Sharia jurisprudence, and he broke out of that in an extraordinary way after he met a spiritual teacher named Shams al-Tabriz, and he forsook that world of um, conventional legalism and entered into a world of ecstatic spiritual revelry, as we all know today from from his poems and also from the whirling dervishes, the order of Mevlevi dervishes that he founded. So that blissful love of the divine, all of this was part of their rebellious spirit. And I think it uh, also is part of what inspires us today to see how they were able both to honor their traditions and to break free of those traditions and revitalize them in ways that we can emulate um, if we choose to do so. Francis's way is probably a way that many people will find interesting but not possible to mimic. It was pretty extreme. Kanji, I'm going to have you pause right there and we'll continue in the next section so we can get to this commercial break. We are discussing Enlightened Contemporaries by Steve Kanji Rule. This is about Francis, Dogen, and Rumi, three great mystics of the 13th century and why they matter today. Each grappled with theological and social issues that continue to reverberate in our own time. And they did so, like many people today, by searching for meaningful experience outside the orthodox confines of church, temple, and mosque. Francis Dogen and Rumi confronted questions related to the natural world or to the role of women in society or to the spiritual dimensions of love. And in doing so, they reached beyond the religious dogmas of the era and devised innovative responses that can excite and inspire the modern individual. You can find out more about Steve Kanji Rule if you go to his website. That's Steve Kanji, K-A-N-J-I, Rule, R-U-H-L, dot com. Uh, you can find out about his book and all of his other work. I invite you to do that. In addition, I want to mention one of our sponsors, BetterHelp, H-E-L-P is giving a special offer to 1111 Talk Radio listeners to get 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com forward slash 11. Is there something interfering with your happiness or preventing you from achieving your goals? BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. You can start communicating in under 48 hours. It's not a crisis line and it is not self-help. This is professional counseling done securely online and there's a broad range of experts expertise available, which may not be locally available in many areas. It is available for clients worldwide, and you can log into your account at any time, sending a message to your counselor. You will get timely and thoughtful responses, plus you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions so that you don't ever have to leave the comfort of your living room. BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, is committed 
to facilitating great therapeutic matches. So they make it easy and free to change counselors if needed. It's more affordable than traditional offline counseling and financial aid is available. Again, that special offer to 1111 Talk Radio listeners is 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com forward slash 11. BetterHelp wants you to start living a happier life today. So visit their website and read their testimonials that are posted daily. You can also join the over 1 million people taking charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. Go to betterhelp.com forward slash 11 and get 10% off your first month. In fact, so many people have been using BetterHelp that they are recruiting additional counselors in all 50 states. Once again, we'll be right back after these messages with Steve Kanji Rule and the three great mystics of the 13th century and why they matter today. This is the topic for the book Enlightened Contemporaries. We'll be right back after these messages. Have you seen 1111? Do you wonder why certain numbers keep showing up in your life? 11, 111, 22, 33, 444. People all over the world are seeing 1111 and learning the language of universal communication. Subscribe to 1111 Magazine today, www.1111mag.com. 1111 Magazine is a bi-monthly print publication that offers a rich, multi-sensory experience. As you engage with experts and topics of consciousness, become enlightened, empowered, and energized so you live a passionate and authentic life of conscious choices. 1111 Magazine, a daily staple for lifting the mindset, discovering the heart, and stepping into conscious living. 1111 Magazine. Order now at www.1111mag.com. 1111mag.com. Do you want more, more joy, more abundance, more power and presence? How would it feel to have more loving relationships, more empowered community, greater fulfillment and life purpose? The 1111 Mastermind Community inspires, empowers, guides and supports transformation. Shift your mind, expand your heart, deepen insights, let go and chart a new course, dream a new dream. The 1111 Mastermind Community is an online portal for personal transformation and soulful expansion. Go to courses.1111mag.com. That's courses.1111mag.com. Change begins with you. Let it be simple, convenient, and transformative. The time is now. Step through the 1111 Gateway. Courses.1111mag.com. Live up to your fullest potential. This is the Voice America Empowerment Channel. You are listening to 1111 Talk Radio. Simron is an award-winning author, publisher of 1111 Magazine, powerful speaker of wisdom, and a life mentor. Find out more at imsimron.com. Now, back to 1111 Talk Radio. Before we get back to Enlightened Contemporaries and Steve Kanji Rule, I want to mention to you an organization that is wonderful. It is the One Spirit Learning Alliance. And it is 
a place that is necessary in this seemingly chaotic and rapidly changing world because it can be difficult to know what is mine to do. Do you love to study various spiritual traditions but have been seeking more structure and an open-hearted community? Are you a spiritual nomad who is yearning for an interspiritual community to grow with? Are you a sacred activist sensing a deeper calling to be of service in the world? Do you desire to gain professional training and credentials to be able to serve and help others from a place of confidence? Are you always the person others come to confide in? And do you want to expand your skill set and presence to listen and witness others uncover their authentic selves? Do you love helping people discover their inner guidance? And are you looking for a more formal exploration for spiritual wisdom traditions to expand your heart beyond the traditions you may have grown up with? I invite you to explore onespirit.org forward slash 1111, and you use the numbers 1111. The exploration of spirituality goes deeper in community than when I studied on my own. These are some of the statements from individuals that have gone through the experiences at One Spirit Learning Alliance. Anyone can buy an ordination online, but through One Spirit's deep transformative training, I've developed skills and confidence, earned credentials, and found my spiritual community and companions in this work. Another person said, I've found the brave space to live authentically and integrate the many pieces of my spiritual self to show up fully in the world. And a third, I came out of the spiritual training feeling equipped and supported, knowing that I can serve whenever I'm needed. Again, you can go to onespirit.org forward slash 1111 and be like many of these other individuals so that you too can say, I gained valuable experience and developed a practice of creating meaningful change in people's lives through ritual and ceremony, fostering community, sacred listening, and spiritual counseling. I learned to celebrate the rich spectrum of authentic wisdom traditions and religions, their diversity as well as their commonalities. When you formally step into this calling and complete the training, life brings you unexpected opportunities. Become credentialed by a leading interspiritual interfaith institution with nearly 20 years of experience in ordaining and training ministers, counselors, and activists. Welcome to a thriving community that shares your vision for a better world. To learn more about One Spirit and its professional training programs, just go to onespirit.org forward slash 1111. And that's One Spirit with the number one at the beginning, dot org forward slash number ones at the end, 1111. My guest today is Reverend Steve Kanji Rule, and he has received his Master of Divinity from Harvard University, as well as high honors from Pennsylvania State University. He's an ordained Zen Buddhist minister and has served as a Buddhist advisor at Yale and many other prestigious places. He is also uh, has a private practice where he works one-to-one with spiritual guidance clients and has been a guest speaker and workshop facilitator at Harvard Center for the World Religions, Yale Divinity School, and Harvard Divinity School, among other places. We are discussing his book, Enlightened Contemporaries, Francis, Dogen, and Rumi, Three Great Mystics of the 13th Century and Why They Matter Today. To find out more about his work and 
all that he does, go to stevekanjirule.com, and that website is in the bio section on the show page. Many people who commit themselves to a life of spiritual illumination must face eventually three choices, whether to balance personal retreats with involvement in conventional society, whether to renounce mainstream society and join a new or more secluded one of fellow seekers, or whether to withdraw altogether into solitary hermitage. Rumi, Francis, and Dogen each faced these choices, and each made a decision that dramatically shaped their lives. This is from Kanji's book, Enlightened Contemporaries. Uh, Kanji, as I was going through the book, the one thing that was very apparent was the amount of suffering that took place for each of these individuals. And we all go through suffering in our lives in our own ways. Uh, Their suffering seemed almost more intense in the manners of perhaps it was the 13th century and the way of the world and how things were at that time. But they took that suffering and they really went inside of it. And what struck me about Francis was he really honored the lady of poverty, as he called it. It, it was this honoring of renouncing things, of, of being willing to embrace the world without the material that was there. And in a sense, Dogen did the same thing, although more of uh, being a monk and, and more reclusive, he did it in that way. Talk a little bit about that that sense of equating spirituality or the spiritual journey to poverty and, and all of the suffering that must be involved in there. Is that what really gets them to open into their heart to where the grief and the pain then produces so much of the beauty and the poetry and all of the things that come from that? Mm. Yes, that's a, that's a wonderful question as well, um, Simran. So the renunciation of the material world and the embracing of poverty, at the deepest level, at the most transformative level, it's the poverty of ego. It's giving up the attachments to the small, petty self and opening the heart to the embracing of suffering in the world. So it transforms your own small level of individual suffering, no matter how overwhelming that feels. It helps to transform that by opening to others. And so in a very literal way, Francis did that by embracing lepers who during the 13th century were considered the walking dead. And as I mentioned in the book, Francis embraced lepers, he bathed lepers, he kissed their sores. And because he had embraced a poverty of self, had died to ego, when he embraced those lepers, they were embracing him as well, so that there was no separation. It was a mutual healing. It was a mutual love. And we see that in Dogen and Rumi as well in different ways. It's a poverty of surrender. It's giving up the attachment to the central me, 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 and realizing that when that happens, as we say sometimes in Zen, no self, no problem. When the self diminishes, then the suffering diminishes as well. And as the heart opens, as there is this outpouring of love, which is one of the fundamental 
attributes of the mystical path as this outflowing of love, then you're not only healing your own suffering, but you're beginning to heal the suffering of the world. And as you say, um, the 13th century was a time of enormous suffering, but also our time today, obviously, is a time of enormous suffering. And one of the ways that Francis Dogen and Rumi, or anybody um, who exemplified that particular path, if I had chosen to go to the 12th century, I could have chosen Hildegard of Bingen, if I had chosen to go to the 16th century, I could have chosen um, Teresa of Avila. So there are a number of possibilities, not only these three. But these three, Francis Dogen and Rumi, do show us a way to live a radical alternative to what I call in the book secular materialism. And secular materialism is the doctrine that the world is devoid of spirit, it consists merely and exclusively of matter, that the only standard of valuation, the only way of um, determining if anything or anybody has worth is monetary. Well, this secular materialism is the dominant view in the West today and increasingly throughout the world, which it's rapidly, rapidly destroying. And in the 13th century, the time of Francis Dogen and Rumi, this, this was really um, developing also. But in our time today, secular materialism reigns supreme in mainstream politics, both liberal and conservative, in business, um, in universities, in the arts and sciences. Again, this view that spirit doesn't exist, the world consists only of matter, what's important are material goods and money. And Francis Dogen and Rumi present in their lives a radical alternative to this, and not only to secular materialism, but also to what I call in the book as um, the holy, in the sense of holier than now, holy war, the pious religious dogma, institutionalized religion that essentially desacralizes the sacred. And so they avoided both of those extremes of secular materialism on the one hand, and the holiness, the piety of, of dead religious dogma, on the other hand, in their presentation of a radical alternative of, of living. And the way Francis did that, as I was starting to say at the break, um, was to completely renounce that world of the secular materialist and the holy and to reinvent the possibilities of spiritual life by emulating what he knew of the life of Jesus, giving up material possessions and wandering in the world, spreading the good news of, of spiritual liberation. Dogen did it, as, as you said um, during the intro, by establishing a monastery where there would be an opportunity to create a utopian existence of spiritual awakening on earth for people who wanted to do that. Now, in our contemporary 21st century American society, those are options that might appeal to people but won't seem practical and realistic. Most people are not going to want to do what Francis did or what Dogen did. But for them, Rumi can serve as a valuable inspiration and example because Rumi maintained life with a family, with a career, in the world, 
but also found ways to live in retreat from that world periodically so that he could experience the spiritual rejuvenation that comes through silence and prayer and contemplation, as well as the ecstatic dance that was so important to him. So these radical alternatives, I think, do speak to us uh, clearly across the eight centuries. We have a couple of minutes before break, but I would love for you to talk a little bit about love. They all three end up having their own ecstasy and projection of love or projection of the divine love onto others as they experience the divine. And what appeared to me was that our human love or our experience of love in human form is really an artificial substitute for what we really want. Even Jungian psychology says that romance is purely the projection of the divine love that we seek, that we don't really pay attention to, so we've cast it out onto humans. Can you talk a little bit about the love that was experienced and how it reached such ecstatic heights? Mm, Yes, and so I think that we all do yearn for that kind of of selfless love and that romantic love is is a um, poor substitute and projection of that. But the path of the mystic is said to be the path of spiritual love, which is an all-encompassing, spacious opening of the heart. And again, it occurs when the small ego self subsides, and that allows loving kindness and compassion to flow. And so Francis demonstrated this, as I said, in his love of lepers, but also in his uh, his involvement with a community of fellow seekers and in his um, ordination of Clara Fredoccio, a young Italian woman who wanted to live as he did, but because of the patriarchal strictures of the time was prevented from doing that. But Francis demonstrated a selfless love for Claire by allowing her to establish her own community of women, which became the poor Claire's, and she later became St. Claire. Um, Dogen's expression of love was quite different, but he emphasized virtues of kindness to animals in the same way that Francis did, and considerate speech, but also by inviting men and women of all classes who sincerely quested for spiritual liberation to come and join him in community. And so his love manifested that way, and it was a loving sense of welcome. And Rumi displayed his, as as we all know, if we've read his poems, through a rapturous, swirling, erotic fervor of uh, expressing union with Allah as uh, as a passion, as as a drive, and a a giddy, drunken joyfulness of kissing the face of the divine beloved. So that erotic quality in Rumi's uh, work and his writing is that spiritual transport of yearning for union with the ultimate. And that's really um, one of the most powerful ways that mystical love manifests, but it also manifests in the mundane, in the ways that we engage others, uh, whether it's a homeless person, a refugee, somebody who is 
addicted to opioids. Those are the lepers of our present day society and to reach out to them. And but also, you know, our our friends, our partners and our relationships to really be present. Francis Dogan and Rumi matter to us today in showing the importance of balancing vigorous life in community with periodic retreat into silence and seclusion for spiritual renewal. Their example reminds us that we need to take the backward step into prayer and meditation. This is not escapism. We still need friends and family. We also must continue to work with the messiness of everyday living, which can be a great teacher. Moreover, we must attend to the pressing emergencies of a chaotic world. Yet we also need relief from its incessant clamor. Today, when so many people feel overwhelmed and frazzled, when their lives feel superficial, frantic, and hollow at the core, Francis and Dogen and Rumi show us the central importance of frequent withdrawal so that we can reconnect deeply with the sacred. This is from Steve Kanji Rule's book, Enlightened Contemporaries. I invite you to learn more about him at stevekanjirule.com and to pick up your own copy and be inspired by these enlightened contemporaries. We'll be right back after these messages. Have you seen 1111? Do you wonder why certain numbers keep showing up in your life? 11, 111, 22, 33, 444. People all over the world are seeing 1111 and learning the language of universal communication. Subscribe to 1111 Magazine today, www.1111mag.com. 1111 Magazine is a bi-monthly print publication that offers a rich, multi-sensory experience. As you engage with experts and topics of consciousness, become enlightened, empowered, and energized so you live a passionate and authentic life of conscious choices. 1111 Magazine, a daily staple for lifting the mindset, discovering the heart, and stepping into conscious living. 1111 Magazine. Order now at www.1111mag.com. 1111mag.com. Do you want more, more joy, more abundance, more power and presence? How would it feel to have more loving relationships, more empowered community, greater fulfillment and life purpose? The 1111 Mastermind Community inspires, empowers, guides and supports transformation. Shift your mind, expand your heart, deepen insights, let go and chart a new course, dream a new dream. The 1111 Mastermind Community is an online portal for personal transformation and soulful expansion. Go to courses.1111mag.com. That's courses.1111mag.com. Change begins with you. Let it be simple, convenient, and transformative. The time is now. Step through the 1111 Gateway. Courses.1111mag.com. Live up to your fullest potential. This is the Voice America Empowerment Channel. You are listening to 1111 Talk Radio. Simron is an award-winning author, publisher of 1111 Magazine, powerful speaker of wisdom, and a life mentor. Find out more at imsimron.com. Now, back to 1111 Talk Radio. 
Francis Dogen and Rumi displayed all characteristics of mysticism. They arrived at distinctive means of experiencing ultimate reality. They underwent personal transformations marked by love and compassion. Following visionary or other extreme psychic states, they described altered consciousness of space-time in selfless experiences of direct encounter with the Absolute and in the motion toward stillness of an awakened mind. This is from Enlightened Contemporaries, Francis Dogen and Rumi, three great mystics of the 13th century and why they matter today by Steve Kanji Rule. Go to his website, stevekanjirule.com. The link is also in the biography on the show page. Kanji, uh, there is a great need for individuals, I think, to take the time to step out of the world and then be able to step back in. And with the forced time that we've had over the past 15 months, it has for some been a place where they could step more into a deepening of themselves and that relationship with the world and spirit. And for others, it's created even more density and chaos and tension and fear uh, as to how to deal with this specific world. These individuals really showed through their lives this way of stepping in and out and understanding that mysticism is everywhere. It's everything. It's all around us. What would you say to the listeners in terms of moving forward from the period we've been in and how to integrate what is being illustrated by Francis Dogen and Rumi into our own lives in today's world? Mm. Yeah, the integration is crucial. Um, And over these last 15 months, it has been an opportunity to take the backward step and to really have an opportunity to go inward. But of course, it's also been a time fraught with challenges and for many people, fear and chaos. And so going forward to integrate whatever experience has been unique to the individual and take it into the outer world. I think part of that integration is on the spiritual path, if it's a mystical path, is once again to step forward with a selfless love that is really at the heart of this practice and to not be concerned by how daunting that feels sometimes. It's a very challenging path. It's very hard. Um, But if you feel called to it, then as Francis Dogen Rumi and other mystics have shown us over centuries, it's possible to be able to move beyond these, these hesitations, these adversities, and to do it with a sense of wholeness and completeness that really does manifest that integration of bringing together fully um, the soul, the spirit, the head, the heart, and and the wisdom source and the hara, as we say in Buddhism. So that integration taking place and the Again, the suffering that we feel, especially coming out of this period when so much has been lost, is also an opportunity to realize what may have been gained. And the suffering always can diminish, as we were saying earlier in our conversation, 
when the small self diminishes as well. So the integration is also tied into a greater expansiveness, a greater spaciousness of heart. And I think that's really crucially important. There's an awareness that has to rise up, I think, inside each one of us as to um, how prominent the small self is, how to what degree the me-ism is in our world. And you were talking earlier about you know, business and politics and uh, all of these structures that we have outside of us, um, and even the material world, the celebrity, all those things that uh, are purported as the way of living your best life or stepping into your true power. But all of those things are really more leaning toward the small self that these contemporaries were willing to step away from in order to discover something that is far beyond this temporary world. Yes, very much so. And that's one of the temptations and one of the traps that exists for us today in a consumerist, celebrity-worshipping society. Um, So much of what's marketed as spirituality is really focused, as you just pointed to, on that small self of of the ego, of of the me, and really enhancing that. And the mystical path is really about exactly the opposite. It's about diminishing that self. Not that there's anything inherently evil with the ego self. We do need a healthy, well-balanced ego self simply to navigate in the daily world, and that's fine. But so often what we're trained and conditioned to live with is a highly neurotic ego self that really gets in the way of the full experience of the sacred and and the sacred in the mundane. So to recognize that and to realize where these, these traps lie as enticements and inducements to really aggrandize the self and to, to inflate the self, especially in spirituality. Um, there's that temptation of the ego to, to think, oh, I'm, I'm so noble, I'm so spiritual doing this. And the temptation often is simply just to rearrange the furniture in the room when the, the deepest form of spirituality on the mystical path is to tear down the house and then rebuild it in a way that is open and and full of fresh air. So watching out for that, I think, is really important, and I'm glad that you've brought that forward. And don't you think that life in its own infinite intelligence brings us those tower moments to help us get to that realization? I think it does. I think it does. I think life is the greatest teacher in, in precisely that way. And those moments are arising all the time. Again, if we can just open and be present to them, we'll see them. The, thir- the 13th century really was not all that different than, than what we face today. And so many of the issues that they even focused upon in their lives, we are looking at in, in a different way, perhaps a, a slightly different lens. But the issues seem to still be the same. So what is that really saying about us in terms of um, 
where we need to go in our in our humanity and also how life continuously is pointing us towards divinity. Mm. Yeah, I think it I think it points to a certain universality and some of the problems that we're facing today, for example, the environmental apocalypse that's impending with the uh, global climate catastrophe and the loss of habitat and so on, uh, is something that Francis Dogen and Rumi can really point us toward in terms of transforming our lives in ways that present viable solutions. Um, Francis espoused a revolutionary approach to the natural world that places humanity not at the apex, but within the realm of plants and animals. Um, Dogen presents a view of nature that speaks to the fact that both the sentient and the insentient speak in their own voices, trees, mountains, waters, streams, as well as animals and plants. It's a sacred way of looking at the universe. And so I think as we begin to see that, yes, the 13th century was very similar in in some ways to what we're experiencing today, there are also ways in which what Francis Dogen and Rumi and others can show us give us some valuable clues as to how we might address some of these problems. And I also just want to say quickly, one of the things, speaking of the 13th century, that I wanted to do in the book was to move away from the Eurocentric view and to give more of a global perspective. So to move away from the standard view of the Middle Ages as just knights and fair maidens and castles and and talk about what was happening in China. Song Dynasty China was the most advanced civilization on earth at that time. It was extraordinary. The Islamic Caliphate was amazing. What was happening with the black um, African kingdoms, they were at their zenith. What was happening in the Americas? So to have more of a global perspective and Getting back to, I think, what is the essence of your question, when we see the perennial nature of some of these problems over centuries, what does that point to as we attempt to go forward? I think it points to the fact that there are fundamental issues that are human. And if we really want to address these fundamental human issues, we have to go to the source. And I think the mystical path of the sacred really gets us to that source. Most definitely, it does have us go to the heart. As I was reading through the book, I transformed seeing these individuals as these simply these elevated beings that have always been there, but it, it, it almost grounded them for me in a way that that allowed me to <clears throat> see that they are archetypes for us as well, that we can find each of them within us. And if we discover the archetype, then all of a sudden we also discover the path. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm glad I'm glad to hear that, Simran. Um, it does ground them as archetypes, I agree. And I think um, a reader also will discern, and you mentioned this at the outset, that they were also very human, very much just like us. And so that's part of the powerful example that they present to us as well, that they did have human failings, they did have human foibles, 
And nevertheless, they were able to embody these grounded archetypes that we can use as inspiration. As you were moving through creating this book over the, these, the time that it took, and particularly when it got published, has one of these kind of spoken to you more in terms of your own life and your own uh, choices? Mm. Well, you know, Dogen, because I'm a Zen Buddhist practitioner uh, myself, Dogen feels very intimate to me. He feels like a very close friend, and I read a little of him every day. But um, Francis and Rumi as well, um, they're, they're present for me. And, you know, in terms of writing this book, I began writing it at Penn State. I finished it at Harvard. But when I was doing it at Penn State, I was on deadline and I had amassed a tremendous amount of research and I had a few days left to do it. So the book's first draft was written essentially in a single sitting um, after months and months and months of research and deep thinking about this. And I was sitting at the keyboard, typing away, typing away, and I was aware of the sun moving across the walls of my apartment. And I would type, 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 and it would get dark. And I was typing, typing, typing. And then I was aware of the sun moving around the room again. And I was typing, typing, typing. And I would get up occasionally to get something to eat out of the refrigerator, or I would jump in the shower for a moment. But basically, I was sitting at the keyboard, typing, 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 as the sun moved around the room and it got dark. And basically, I got three hours of sleep that week. And I felt exhilarated writing this book. And I wasn't using any caffeine or any stimulants. It was all coming from the excitement of intimate connection with these three particular people over the over the span of, of time space of eight centuries, and so they but they all three feel close to me. But I would say, as a Zen practitioner, Dogen feels the most intimate. For Francis Dogen and Rumi, mysticism is not a matter of dull, solitary existence interrupted by terrific bursts of the sacred, then relapse into anguished and lonely waiting until death delivers them finally into the absolute. Mysticism is a process of living vibrantly in the world, amid the ongoing, ever-present manifesting of the sacred, and amid other people in the acts of sharing joy and love. I invite you to get your copy of Enlightened Contemporaries, Francis Dogen and Rumi, Three Great Mystics of the 13th Century and Why They Matter Today. This is the first book to compare the lives and teachings of three of the world's most admired spiritual masters. They lived during the same turbulent century. They integrated mystical experiences of the sacred into their lives, and they can inspire you to do the same. Visit stevekanjirule.com. You can find that link in the bio description. Thank you, Kanji, for being on 1111 Talk Radio. I am Simran, in love, of love, with love, and as love. Be well. Thank you for opening your mind to a new reality, your heart to greater compassion, and your experience of aliveness with 1111 Talk Radio. Join host Simron next Tuesday at 8 a.m. Pacific, 11 a.m. Eastern Time to step through the gateway of conscious living here on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Remember, you are not on the journey. You are the journey.